The following lecture was delivered at the 9th Annual National Jewish Retreat, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture and encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. The Associate Professor of Management and Entrepreneurship at the Sims School of Business in Yeshiva University, Mr. Charlie Harari devotes his time, skills, and endless energy to mentoring youth, teenagers, and college students in their pursuit of meaningful living with Jewish values. Co-founder of H3 and Company, a multi-million dollar venture capital and advisory firm, Mr. Harari is a highly active community leader as well as president of Milvado Incorporated, an organization that develops innovative methods to teach spirituality in relevant and modern ways. He will now present a lecture entitled, Finding Your Mission in Life. Rabbis, thank you so much for having me. It's my first JLI conference. It's a conference that has worldwide attention, and so it's truly honor to be a part of it. The topic for today is finding your mission in life. This is a question that I think many of us struggle with, many of us think about, I hope. And you find that in life, people go through life and you, they say things like, I'm trying to find myself, or what's my mission, or why am I here? And I want to give an approach that is sort of found in, I believe, in the normative Jewish thought. And it really speaks to what our mission is in life and why we are here. And I want to start with a man named Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson is a British scholar. Uh, he's considered to be a, an expert in educational reform. And he wrote a book called The Element. Some of you may have heard about it or read it. And the idea basically is that education today, secular general education today, is shifting and needs to continue to shift. Because as the world becomes more global and as things become more specific in terms of your skill set, the competition increases. People need to go through an educational system where they're not just learning material, where they're learning to understand them through the material. You need to understand your uniqueness. And as you go through systems, you have to be able to not only make yourself like everybody else. It's not about there's one answer and it's in the back of the book and don't look till the test is over. And if you, it's not like that anymore. It's you are something. You have specific needs and specific abilities and specific proclivities. And the goal of education is to be able to bring that out so that you can come out into the world and bring out your best uniqueness. There's a system, a movement, towards going from the inside out. And what I want to talk today about is how one finds their mission from a Jewish perspective, going from the inside out. And I want to begin, and this is a JLI Chabad conference, which is great because you can say things like this, like you can talk about some of these concepts that are so out in the open here, which is amazing, and it's all, I believe, and it, the, the, the mission of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he really pushed this. And it's now part of our system right now and talking about systems and ideas that are found in things like Kabbalah or things like Hasidus and mysticism that are able to be in many ways discussed and popularized because it's what's going on behind the curtain of our souls. And the basic thought, some of the, some of the basic structures of our soul is based on a concept called Sephiros. And the way it works is that the world, we each have a certain amount of, of structure in each and every one of us. And if you go to Bangladesh, or you go to Maine, or you go to Chicago, or you go to LA, or you go to New York, and you open up a body, you're going to find the heart in the same place. It's structured the same. 
It makes all humans sort of have share a certain amount of biological similarities by our feet and where we are and all our brains and how things work. It allows for us to be able to maneuver and to adapt our own medicine based on the fact that we're all the same physically. But in truth, we're also all the same spiritually. And that we're based and we're built with a spiritual structure called the spheros. Three are sort of up in a place where we can't really access. But seven, seven spheros make up each and every one of our souls. And seven spheros make up our collective Jewish soul. And the way God interreacts and interrelates with our world in many ways, and it's much more of a deeper conversation than just what we have now for, is through the spheres. His energy, right? God isn't a guy sitting up on some like, you know, chair somewhere, like looking down and going, oh, you were good? Extra bonus points for you. Oh, you two guys talking during shul in the back? Zap, zap. Good luck driving today. That's not how it works. He's not up by taking notes of Charlie's okay today. He is a, an infinite energy that pervades everything in the world, and the way that energy interrelates, so to speak, with the world is through the spheres. And so what's inside us are untapped spheros. And the full expression of those spheros is our fulfilling our mission in life. The goal of life is not to ever become. The goal of life is to reveal. We have everything already. What's inside us, we're built with a piece of God from within. So what is inside us is already more than we can ever touch or dream of. There's more spirituality, there's more greatness and awesomeness that's within our soul that is tapped underneath that all we have to figure out in life, we never have to be somebody else, we never have to cut and paste our life and like a board and we say, I want to be like this guy, I want to be like this, I want to look like her and act like him and dress like him and drive that car and own that company and be this entrepreneur and sell my company for $50 billion when I'm 15 years old and boom, this is what I want to be. You never have to become. Success in Judaism is never becoming something where the world goes, oh, you got it, honor, money, materialism, ever. It's you have something and our job is to reveal it, to give it full expression. Our mission is to reveal that which is already inside. And when we tap into the uniqueness through these spheres that's in all of us, our day becomes our mission. We have almost romanticized mission when you bring like, you know, heaven into it, like as if like I'm in this world so that like when I'm 28, I'm gonna see an old lady, I'm gonna cross the street with her and God's like, boom, that's why you're here, awesome. As if everything before and everything after doesn't really exist. We're all here for, we hear stories about where someone did one thing and that was the mission. Generally, that happens very rarely. Usually, every second is a mission because your eyes wouldn't be open if you didn't have a mission. And the only question is not, can I get my one mission? Can I find myself? You don't got to go anywhere to choose your mission because you're here because God put you here. And you're in this room because God put you in the room. And we, have an, we interact with him. We have a play in this. But if it's in front of my eyes, then it's potentially my mission. And the only question is, can I see it? So how do we do this? So God gives us a book. And what's amazing about the book that God gave us is that it is a completely confusing book. And the world is sort of grappling with it. They think it's a history book, and it's just not really a great history book. And they think it's a book about, you know, uh, science. It's not really a great science book. I mean, when you delve into the essence of it, you can get pieces, but it's not what it is. The book that we're given is a lesson book. And the goal and the structure of that book is to teach lessons. How do you teach lessons best? What are the best lessons you know in life? 
are the lessons you got as a kid, which are stories. All the places you go is like the best lesson ever by Dr. Seuss in the history of humanity. Every kid that I know has read that a million times. The stories, stories actually deliver messages in these packed environments because you remember them and you can lace in a story dozens and dozens and dozens of lessons and that story can transmit through time. It is the most impactful way to deliver messages is by telling somebody a story. And God, being the ultimate educator, says, here's what I'm going to do. i got to get my people to tap into their essence. And so before I get to the real point of the Jewish people, when do we come alive as a Jewish people? When we walk out of Egypt, that's our people time. Before I get to them being a people, and then having rules and regulations and things and building tabernacles and going into Canada and having all this stuff that they're going to use to become the nation that will civilize other people, to have justice before justice was popular, to do all things we do. Before I get to all that, I need to have a book that is designed to have stories. And even these stories are going to be able to let these people know how to tap into their inner essence. And so we begin the Torah with a bunch of stories. And if you look at it, by the way, if you look around and you're like, mm, like it's nice. Ever like, you remember when I was a little kid? I remember when I was a little kid, like they, before they gave me my book, my, my Torah. I'll never forget this. I was, in, I was in day school. And like they built it up so much. They're like, this is the book that God gave humanity. And I'm like, this is like the Lord of Rings. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like waiting for like, you know, you know, on Tuesday at two o'clock, look left at the sunrise. I'm like, I'm waiting for all the secrets. And it's like, and a long, long, long time ago, there's a man named Abraham. I'm like, I, I think I got the wrong copy. Like, really? Like, how did I get this book? Because you look at it, you're like, what? But if you look at it from the prism of something that it's going to teach us about who we are, the game changes. And what I want to do today is go through a few stories. Now, God, everyone is beloved in God's eyes. There's no concept of like better. There's a lot of this better and worse and he loves more and less. If you're in this earth, he loves you. But there are seven people throughout the beginning of Jewish history that embodied not just in their lives a nice story. They embodied what is that exact sphere that is within you. Seven people's lives, God said, their lives are not just relevant because they did good things because they created a link to the Jewish people. Their lives are relevant because their life embodies one sephira. They bring a trait into the world and their story, and I have cut and pasted stories. And if you notice something, none of the personalities in Torah do you have the entire history. If you're writing a biography of anybody, it's, it's like not even close. You get in, then you get out, you get in, you get out. You don't even know what happens up in the end, and then you move on to the next person because all he is doing is he is cutting and pasting exactly what you need in order to find the trait that you're going to learn from so that you know that it's inside you. I, got, I, I remember it. I've got, I come from an interesting background. Half of me is Sephardi. Half of me is Ashkenazi. I'm walking United Nations with better resolutions. Half of what I eat is either rice or margarine, right? right. <laughs> That's my life. So half my, my parent, my grandparents come from, from uh, my grandfather comes from Hungary. You know, like, you know when kids are born, you know, you play the game with the kids. You know that kid, when soon the kid comes, they all look the same. They all look, I have five kids, thank God, which is why I'm here for the conference and staying for two weeks. Um, you, know, you, you know when the kids are born, they all look exactly the same, right? They look little aliens. You know, they don't, they don't look anybody. And you, the minute you bring them home, like one day, and everyone plays the game of who they look like, you know what I'm talking about? Like you come over, and the kid looks like nothing. He's a scrunched little nothing. You're hoping the kid like sort of has his features come out. And like grandma comes over and she goes, oh my God. She has your aunt's thigh, definitely. 
I am telling you, this is our side of the family. You know what I'm talking about? You start pulling body parts, as to who, and you line up the family. I'll never forget, my grandfather, she lived 120, he's a Holocaust survivor. I'll never forget, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he never thought he would survive. He's got a great story. And he comes to this country, and he has a child. Here's my mom, a child. And then she has a child. So now he's got a grandchild. He was blown out. And now I have a child. So you can imagine my grandfather, when he heard the news that he had a great grandchild, he went insane. But you know, families, we play this game of we want to make sure we all look like each other, right? So I'll never forget. He comes to the hospital, North Shore LIJ. He comes in. As he walks into the room, he goes, I want to see my great grandchild. I'm like, yes, sir. We walk in, you know, in these hospitals, it's like maximum security. It's like going to the Pentagon. You know, I, like my eye scan, like till you get in. And I walk in, and there's a huge nursery. And he zeroes in right in on the, on, on, on the crib. And he looks right at him. And he looks at me and he goes, Charlie, come here. I said, yes, Zaidi. He goes, you see that boy? I said, yeah. He goes, you see that nose? I said, yeah. He goes, my grandfather's a mooncatcher. He goes, that's a mooncatcher nose. I said, okay. He goes, no, 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 no. You think you know. You don't know. You don't know noses. And you don't know Munkach. Don't let them tell you otherwise. That's the Munkach nose. I said, okay. The nurse comes over and goes, bang, bang, can I help you? I said, Harari. She goes, Harari's on the other side. <laughs> what do we do this for? Because we want to connect the generations. We want to realize that we have the same DNA. Or guess what? We have the same DNA as our forefathers. And the stories that we know of them is really the stories that we know of ourselves. So what I want to do today is, do I have my, you, I, okay, what I want to do today is, I want to tell you two, possibly three stories. Ideally, I hope I can get to all three within the hour. If not, we'll get to two, and we're going to speak about two individuals and their life stories. And sit back and relax. I'm going to tell it to you like the way I learned. Everything in my life that I learned is through a movie. When I'm sitting in class, it's like I'm playing the movie in my head. Just sit back. And just sit back, and as I sit back and I'll tell you the movie of each of these individuals, hopefully we'll be able to see the trait that comes through in their lives and in ours. So the movie begins at 18th century BC, the Bronze Era. And you can imagine what it was like back then. It was an entire area that was basically completely polytheistic. They served multiple gods, but the, the, the gods they served, we have no appreciation of what, what, what life was like back then in antiquity, the way they served. We think that the people that had multiple gods were like, you know, old school, un, they, were, they were unsophisticated individuals that would like, you know, run around a campfire. Like, they, what did they know? We're sophisticated individuals in the modern era. It was actually, actually not true. Back then, the most sophisticated form of worship was polytheism. And in fact, they knew the secrets of how the world works. The grandson of Adam Harishan of Adam was a man named Enosh. Enosh had within him the secrets of how nature could have been manipulated. And they understood that if I did this at this time and offer this sacrifice, the sun would do what it would do, and the sun did what it did. They moved nature. It was the ultimate system. I didn't have to actually do anything for God. I knew how all the tricks and the trades were, and it became a, a, a widespread religion. And the sun and the moon and the stars and the rocks and the statues and the guy fasting in the corner, everybody was able to be worshipped. And there was one man who said, wait a second, worshiping a lot of idols is one thing, but guess what I can do better than that? He pays that his son was Jewish. I can make money on it. And he created the first ever mail order business. He opened up a website, he did it online, he got bought out in a couple of years. Google bought him out by $1.5 billion, it was great. And Terah opened up the first mass business for idolatry. And it was going great. He became rich. And his best salesman was a man, one of his children named Abraham. 
Adrian was, he was amazing. He could talk to anybody. He could be smart. He figured a way to get you to buy what he wanted you to buy. He was selling idols like it was nobody's business. He was salesman of the year. He went to Hawaii every single year on his trip. It was great. And one day, Abraham's sitting there going, wait a second. All these gods, you're praying here, but they all got to draw power from somewhere. Maybe there's a power source on top of all of them. Why don't we just worship the power source? What are we worshiping the angels for? And he developed a unique, groundbreaking concept called monotheism, which was shocking to the world. And he was great. He filed a 501c3. He had his first parliament meeting. He had a convention. People came. He raised money. He went out to different campuses. It was amazing. Abraham got more people involved and more people involved. And he started speaking here. He went on video. He used technology properly. And he was growing and he was growing and things were going great. And he really believed in this monotheism. And he was really bringing in people into the fold to learn about monotheism. And then all of a sudden, one day, someone found out about him. There's a man named Nimrod. Nimrod was the king of the land. And let me tell you what the king of the lands don't like. Kings of the world. He didn't like this at all. He calls him Abraham. You've got to picture this. Picture the movie of Nimrod, the king, sitting outside on his throne in bleachers of his subjects on both sides. And in the middle of the bleachers is a fire pit. And Abraham is brought, probably wearing a toga and sandals, chains on the edge of the fire pit. He said, Abraham, I hear about this whole monotheism thing that you got going on. God of the world, and he is everywhere, and he can help, and he can take care. This is good stuff. Well, if you really buy and believe what you're saying, sure, Mr. God of the world can save you from anywhere, right? So why don't you jump in the pit, and we'll see if he'll save you. And the music is pumping. And you can picture what it means to be Abraham right now. Because he believed in it for sure. He gave up his work hours for it. He filed the tax status for it. He went out at night and worked hard for it. When Sarah said, listen, can you stay home with the kids? He goes, I got to go away for the convention for the weekend. She goes, okay, fine, good luck for it. He believed in it. But there's belief and there's belief. You believe in something to talk about it. You believe in something to get somebody else involved. But do you believe in it enough to jump in a pit for it? And at that moment, Abraham had to make a choice. Do I believe? And if I believe in something, am I willing to go all in for my beliefs? And I can imagine like in heaven, they're passing out popcorn. Everyone's like, <gasps> like by, the, by the suspense of the movie. And Abraham looks to the right and looks to the left and says, well, if I believe in it, then I go all in on it. And he does the unthinkable. He jumps into the pit. Like, in my mind, that's like the opening of the movie, and then it's like the Jewish people. And then, like, you see Charlton Heston come in or whatever. <laughs> and at that moment, something was created in the world, a trait, the first sphera. A trait was brought down into the world and beginning to materialize. The trait is called chesed. Chesed is a name that we usually mischaracterize as kindness. Chesed is much more than kindness. Kindness is a subset of chesed. Chesed is actually sacrifice. Chesed shall emes. True chesed is being able to truly sacrifice for something and getting nothing in return. And in fact, the acts of chesed that we see in the Bible are all acts that tell us, give even if you don't get. 
Hand to someone that's poor. Take care of the widow or the orphan. Do what's right. Do things in which it takes you from your comfort zone to do what's right. It's a sacrificing of that in which you have time, money, justice, the ability to circumvent the system for somebody that doesn't have the underdog. And at that moment, something was born in the world called chesed, sacrifice. When you believe in something, you are ready to go all in on that belief. Now, my child, as any parent in this room knows, if you find your kid's good at math or playing an instrument when he's eight years old, what do you do? You put him in a seven-year-old class so he can dominate, or you put him in a 10-year-old ten, class so that he can be challenged so that trait can come out. You put him on a 10-year-old class. You want to make that trait go. God goes, all right, I got someone now. Let's rock and roll. Let's see how far I can push this thing. He comes to me and goes, hey, Abraham. He's like, hey, God. He's like, that was phenomenal. He's like, thank you. He's like, that is ESPN top 10 plays of the week. We're going crazy in heaven for you. That was amazing. He goes, no, thanks. Am I done? And so the credits, he goes, no, 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 no. We're just getting started, my friend. He goes, you think you're a tough guy by yourself? Go. He's like, where? He's like, to the land that I will show you. Can you imagine right now if the rabbi got up here and go, we're going. You're like, where are we going? We're going to the land, the promised land. We're going to Florida. We're all walking to Florida together. You'd be like, what, are you kidding me? Like, is there, you're bringing the buffet with you? You're taking the tea room? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you, what are you going? Now I go to Israel for like a week. I have to get like my phone and my this, and I bring my fruity pebbles. Like, I need like six months of prep to go to Israel for a week. Back in those days, God goes, you think you're a tough guy? You're jumping into a fire by yourself? Now try taking your wife and your father and the whole family, by the way. Not so simple. Go. And it wasn't look like, I'll tell you when you get there. Is there a place that I can live? I'll let you know when you get there. Just grab a bag and go. Can you sacrifice for me with your family? You can die for me, but can you live for me? Because sometimes it's easier to die for something than to live for something. Go. Abraham says, when I say I'm into you, I'm all in, I'll go. And he grabs his family, and he goes. And his whole life, if you go through the story, when you have a chance, when you get home, just flip through the story, his whole life is a life of getting pushed to see how far he'll sacrifice because the first trait that's within us is the trait of chesed that tells us, that yearns at us, that requires us to look at our entire lives and say, every area that I believe in, am I willing to sacrifice for? Every one of us right now has a relationship in our lives that we know that one phone call to that person would change our relationship. One call to mom and dad, grandparents, my friend that we got into fight with a few years ago. One call to the family member that we're not talking. One call to the person that she can call me. She doesn't have my number. I have to call her. Let her call me. One call to, the, to my parents that have never heard from me. By the way, I wasn't the most perfect kid. You did an amazing job. You guys worked your tail off in the worst environment to put us through school. One call to your kid. By the way, I know you weren't exactly the way your father wants you to turn out. I am so proud of the way you are. We may not have said that enough, but you're an amazing kid, and we're proud. One call in our lives right now to the person who could change our lives. Why don't we make the call? You know what the feeling is inside? We're on fire. It's a fire pit. And as soon as I get to that relationship, I believe in my relationship. I believe in my spouse. I believe in my marriage. I believe in my kids. I believe in my parents. I believe in my rabbis. I believe in all that, but do I believe Am I willing to go all in? And all of us has this feeling inside us that it could be more. It could be more. It's supposed to be more. I don't know why it's not more. I don't know why my relationships 
aren't more. It's because we stand at the fire pit. As soon as we pick up that thing, we're, whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. It feels a little weird. It feels a little weird. You know what? I'll call it tomorrow, next week, before Yom Kippur. Before they, and then it just goes and goes and goes, and that discommunication. And all it is, that little trait called chesed says, come on. You have it in you. Your grandfather is Abraham. He walked into a fire pit. Pick up the phone. How many years are you going to go? I, had a, I, did, I do these seminars in front of college kids. I teach, I teach in Yeshiva University. I do seminars for, for college kids around the country. And in one of the seminars, it's a five-part series, and we talk about this in the fourth part, usually right as, as the seminar is coming to an end. And I have the boys do what's called the Twin Towers exercise. And the boys and men and women, it's not just boys. The Twin Towers exercise, I have a friend of mine, I was, I'll never forget, it was Simchas Torah, and I was in Scarsdale, New York for, for Simchas Torah in 9-11. September 11th, remember it happened before Rosh Hashanah, just a month later. I'll never forget, it was a friend of mine, we were having lunch with a woman who had lost her husband in the towers. Horrible, horrible story. Whoever's a New Yorker here, everyone felt it, but if you're a New Yorker, you really, like, it just reverberated in your soul. And she tells the story at the table, that I'll never forget, my whole life, she says that her husband worked on the, in the second tower. And remember, the first tower got hit, and, but the second tower got hit somewhere about 20 or so floors underneath the top. So people were actually sitting at their desks on top of the plane. And when the plane hit, it was over. They knew it was over. They looked down, and it was over. And they had 10, 15, 20 seconds. And she told us that um, that morning she was doing carpool, and her husband couldn't get through to her, and her husband was on top of the floors. And the last thing that he did was he picked up the phone to call his wife. And she said that she had gotten into a little bit of a fight that morning. And she comes home. I mean, no one should ever have to imagine. She comes home from carpool to the answering machine in the house. And the answering machine is his last message to her, how much she meant to him, how much he loved her, everything that she did for him. She said it was, it was 15, 20 years of marriage within 30 seconds, and I have never forgotten that message since. And I told everyone in the room, we should never think this way, but there's a famous rabbi named Noah Weinberg who says that if you want to taste life, you have to start to understand the concept of death. Once you get to our own mortality, we start to realize that if we're here today, we better live it up. And I had everyone in the room write down who would they call and what would they say if it was the Twin Towers call. And everyone took out a piece of paper and wrote, Dad, Mom, and just wrote, if I have one call left to make, I don't got to worry about looking vulnerable. I don't got to worry about my image or looking dumb or have feeling any. I got one. And I have to, asked him afterwards. I said, whoever has the guts, go out and make that call tonight. The next day I came in, and people made calls. It was great. I mean, it was, it was great. Thank God. It was great. And I called that one kid. I said, you make calls. And the kid said, I can't make a call. So I was like, <laughs> stand up. I'm like, why can't you make the call? He goes, it's, I can't make the call. I said, who would you write the letter to? He said, I wrote the letter to my dad. I said, what would you write? He said, my dad came from the Middle East. Anyone has parents from the Middle East, you know, that dads in the Middle East, for an oldest son, they're tough because you got to take over the business. Now, you know, I can't be soft on the oldest son. And his father was tough on him. And as he got older, he got to college, got out of college, he's, you know, at the end of his college terms, he realized for the first time that his father was, he loved him. It was his expression of love, making him strong. And he wrote a letter to his dad how much he believed in him, how much he appreciated him, how hard he worked. It was beautiful. I said, call your father. He said, I can't. I'm like, come on, call your dad. He goes, I just can't. And the crowd is going, call your dad. Call your dad. He goes, I can't. I'm like, why? 
and I'm waiting for like a softball, like it's too hard, or I'm going to feel weird. And he says, my father passed away two years ago. He goes, I read this letter, I go to the grave every month and say I'm sorry. And the crowd, you can see the crowd going, what? I mean, people are mortal? Every one of us, you know, you know what regret is? Regret is never, I look stupid. Regret is never, I tried and failed. You know what regret is? I didn't try. No one ever once said, I called my parents, you know, I'll tell you a great story. In that same conference, a girl got up. This is great. And she said, I called my father. And I said, what did he say? He goes, my father was tough on me growing up. And I said, Dad, I love you. And he goes, what did he say? He said, I don't even want to hear your voice and hung up on her. And I said, I was like, thank you, God. I appreciate this whole, like, you know, in front of everybody. Like, what do I do with this now? I said, how do you feel? And she quieted down. She said, amazing. I feel amazing. You know why? Because I tried with my dad for the first time. I know that I went all in on my dad. He'll come around or he won't. But I'll never be able to look back and say, maybe I should have, maybe I should have. Every one of us lives in a world, forget the big stuff, our regular life is a life that has so much potential meaning. And what stops us from that meaning many times is just whether or not do I jump in the fire pit? Do I go all in on my relationships? I had this idea to do something for the Jewish people, and it's been in the back of my head since I was in college. I'm too scared that if I do it and I look dumb, no one's going to come over. I'm gonna, I, I, I can't be vulnerable. I always wanted to try something. I always wanted to push myself in this area, but none of my friends are doing it and my spouse is doing it, and my parents are, and I can't, because if I step out of this zone, if I come out and I'm vulnerable, and I don't get, because when I was a kid, and I got vulnerable three, four times, I got hurt here, I got dumped here, in class one time, they just said that I was stupid, I had, I tried for law school, and I got rejected, I got all this stuff around me, that has reminded me, that every time I jump into a pit, I get, I get burnt. But inside of you is the trait. It's Abraham's trait, and guess what, it ain't going away. And Abraham's trait is, you got my nose. You got my nose. I don't know how to do things with one foot in the pool. If, be careful for what you believe in. Doesn't mean you jump into everything. But if it gets to the level of what you believe in, you jump in. And in every area of your life that you jump in, you know what you're doing? You're fulfilling your mission in the world. Because the mission the mission of changing the Jewish people is just as important as the mission of changing one person. We're not, it's not just it has to be big for it to be important. It could be tiny. It could be a kid in a classroom. It could be a person in your life. It could be trying something and failing at it. It could be running to God and even getting rejected or feeling rejected, but knowing at the end of your life there was nothing that I didn't go all in on. That's our mission. And when we live this way, we feel different every day. And when this is a background, we can understand the following. Why did God, the, arguably the most difficult question in Torah is why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Isn't that the question? Now see it from this perspective. Who was Abraham? He was the man that showed up and did what? 
He tried to get rid of idolatry. That was his number one mission. What was the idolatry at the time? It was an idolatry called the Molech. What did the Molech do? Sacrificed kids. Abraham's M.O. was don't kill your kids. When they did an op-ed piece on him on the New York Times, it was here's why you don't kill your kids. The bumper sticker on the back of Sarah's minivan, don't kill your kids. Time Man of the Year, thank you everybody, it was great. I appreciate it. Thank you to my producer and to my wife and to all my fans. Remember, and everyone in the crowd goes, don't kill your kids. His life was don't kill your kids. And now he's at the end of his life. And guess what? He banked on God and he came out big. He banked on Google early and he is cashing in. He is in a div. He's got money. He's got a whole full yeshiva. They love him. He's got, she's chilling it out. He's old. He's drinking cup of tea with nana sauce or whatever with all their friends in the middle of the Middle East. And one day God shows up and he goes, hey, Abraham, how are you? He goes, hey, God, how are you? Good morning. How's everything? Good. What's going on? Not much. He goes, I got a question for you. He's like, yeah, what do you need? He's like, uh, your son. He's like, yeah, what do you need for? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'd like you to kill your son. He's like, I don't, I don't speak Hebrew yet. Like, what are you talking about? Is that, is that a cafe latte? Wait, wait, what are you? He goes, your kid. <laughs> what do you mean? The son that I prayed my whole life for? The whole? He's like, yeah. Yeah, to him. Yeah, I won. Because here's what's going to happen to you, Abraham. Not only is your legacy physically gone, guess what's going to happen when you come off that mountaintop? Cameras. Snap. Hypocrite of the year. Mr. Don't Kill Your Kids killed his kids for his God all gone. Your money's gone. Your wife, gone. Your kids, gone. Your reputation, gone. Everything you've built your whole life, if there's a smidgen inside you that did it for you, there's a piece of you that played the God angle, knowing that he's a good thing to bet into and you're living large, I want it all back now. Abraham goes, you're not getting this. I am all in. It's yours. It's yours. That was Abraham. And that quality is inside us, and we know it. Because every time we don't exercise it, we feel it. The A minuses, the B pluses of our classes, of our lives, bother us only when we go, I should have got an A. They don't bother us. That's why in sports, anyone who's a big sportsman, you know, the players that lose game, games by two points never forget it. You get blown out, it's gone. Miami Heat forgot about the championship series. Last year, San Antonio was thinking about it every single day because you lose by two. You know what that means? I could have won if I tried to drop harder. And so the first trade inside each and every one of us is the trade of sacrifice, to go all in on everything, to push. But there's an opposite trait. The second trait is the trait of Isaac. Now, if Abraham is Mr. Sacrifice, and if Abraham is Mr. Take on the world, what's Isaac? Where does the Isaac movie begin? The way I see the Isaac movie starting, is how, if I was directing the Isaac movie, here's how it started. There'd be a camera that pans over a desert, an empty desert. And follow me with this one. And the camera goes quickly over the desert mountains, then you see nobody. It's completely uninhabited. Maybe a pocket of tribes here and there. And the camera spans and spans and spans. And all of a sudden, you see one mountaintop. But on the mountaintop, you see a couple of figures, but you can't make it out. And the camera goes all the way up on top of the mountaintop. And you're looking down, and you're seeing something that is really shocking. And as the camera gets down lower and lower and lower and lower, you're seeing two individuals, an old man with a knife and a middle-aged man. Isaac was not a little kid when he brought him up to the altar. He was a middle-aged man. And a middle-aged man sitting there, tied down, looking like he's about to be sacrificed. And Isaac shows up on the scene. And the first words uttered out of his mouth 
to his father is not, are you crazy? Or do you sure you heard him? Because I don't know if Google Translate got that completely. You sure it was me? Was the barbecue supposed to be me? I'm like, hello? None of that. You know what he tells his father for the first time? The first thing out of his mouth is, Dad, you tied me. Do me a favor. Tie me tighter. Tighter. Because if Abraham was Mr. All over the place, Isaac was Mr. Tight. He was bound. Everything that he did was bound. His first scene was being tied down to an altar. He never left the land of Israel. Everyone else did. What did everyone else do for a living? They were shepherds. Shepherds go. What did Isaac do for a living? He redug wells. Because you know what a well is? One spot. Dark, 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 dark. And if you're lucky, a little bit of water. Isaac was blind. You know what that meant? He went nowhere. Isaac's entire life was a life of being bound. And if there's one thing that we hate, is being bound. You know what I'm talking about? I'll drive from New York to California, and I'll be fine. You put me in the Bell Parkway or the Van Wick in rush hour, I will kill myself. We hate traffic. You ever sit in traffic and be like, hmm, this is a nice time to just relax? Ever? We're like, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? And you ever go through traffic, by the way, on a late night construction, and you're praying that they're actually doing construction? You ever have this? When you're going through the cones, you're like, there's no one doing construction? And it's like the worst, because I just sat in traffic for nothing because of the one thing that we hate, which is why we have something over here. We have ways. We have all the most complicated technology in the world to get us to not have traffic for five minutes. Because one thing that we hate is traffic. You know why? We hate being bound. That's why most of us can't sit through classes. When I was a kid in high school, forget about it. I was bouncing off the wall. That's why we can't really pray for a long time. You ever do this about like Yom Kippur? You get to show Yom Kippur, right? You're looking down. It's like 2.30. You're like, 700 pages left? Like, how's that possible? And you become, a, and you become like, a, like a mathematician. Like, well, I read the pages of English, and then I got the great parts. I got to go to the bathroom three times, and the rabbi's going to speak. It's only 15 minutes. It's okay. It's only 15 minutes. You ever had that? Like, I can't, I'm going to be bound. I, and then if you don't know how long it's going to take, you're going out of your mind. You know why? Because we hate being bound. But where does life happen? Most of the time, where life really happens is right past that surface level of our attention. There's a lot of articles talk about this now, that one of the greatest challenges we have today is that we are raising a generation of people that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Because our ability to get stuff is so quick. You ever do this? You ever read an article and you can't even do the continue page, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, whatever, I'm done. You read just the five lines, and you're like, this is interesting, but i got to click and then read more. Forget it. I already read enough, and I'll just figure out the rest. Because I could give you like a second of, of, of attention, but more than a second of attention, you know what that's going to require me to be? Bound. The trait is called strength. Strength is the ability to hold on. Strength is the ability to remove what is a temptation? They say that Isaac was the king of being able to fight temptations. How? Ezehu Gibor, who was a, a, a strong person? Hakovesh etzitzer. What does it mean to be kovesh? To conquer your, your temptations? It means when it says, come on, 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 you're able to say, stop. I'm going to hold on to what is right way past you hitting me with temptations. I'm going to stay in the conversation. I'm going to stay on a subject. My son does all the time. Anyone who's raising young kids, you know this happens to you. Math is the subject of sitting. You know what I'm talking about? He goes, Daddy, I can't do math. You can't do math? He goes, my brain doesn't do math. I'm like, wow, you're already understanding your brain at 12 years old. I tried the problem for like 14 seconds, and I can't do it. I'm just not a math guy. You ever had this conversation? I'm just not a math guy. 
I mean, I put in 20, 30 seconds of effort and it just didn't hit me naturally. And guess what? It must be me. There's a problem in me. Can you please give me some medication or whatever? <laughs> I gotta sit. You know what it takes me to sit? But where does life happen? You ever talk to somebody? This is great. I remember I, I got involved in a, in, a, in a project once. I got involved in a project that was great. And they sent me, I, I got a bunch of guys that want to do this big project for the Jewish people. And they said to me, Charlie, we'd love to include you, but we, 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 I don't think you really know how to live with God. I'm like, what? I am totally into God. Like, eh, come on. He goes, no, no, no. You may be into him, but you don't know how to live with him. I'm like, okay, so how do you live with God? He goes, you got to meet my rabbi. I'm like, great, where does your rabbi live? He's like, in Jerusalem. I'm like, great, let me pop on my private plane. I'll just go to Jerusalem tonight. Like, what, like, he goes, the next time you're in Israel, go visit my rabbi. He's going to teach you how to believe in God, how to live with God. I'm like, can't wait for this one. This is great. I go to the rabbi, very impressive looking to study. I walk in, I wait online for like half an hour. I come right in, big rabbi, big beard, very intimidating. He goes, oh, welcome. He says, I said, so-and-so sent me. He goes, oh, so-and-so, what a great man. He said, he tells me that you know how to live with God. Ten minutes great. You know how to live with God. Right? And I love this stuff. Like, I'm waiting for, like, you know, Tuesday afternoon, take some incense, look outside, and you're going to see him. Like, that's awesome. He goes, live with God? He goes, you have kids? I said, yeah, I got kids. He goes, how many guys? At that point, I had four. He goes, yeah, I have four kids. He goes, you want to learn how to live with God? He goes, go home and watch your kids eat dinner, and you'll learn how to live with God. I said, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how they eat dinner in Israel, Rabbi, but in America, it's more like evolution than religion. I don't think you want me to go on that one. He goes, you know, like he asked a question the second time, he's like, I'm not explaining to you again. Let me say it again. I'm going to nod you out of the room. You know what I'm saying? He's like, go home, watch your kids eat dinner, and we've got I'm like, thank you, dinner, God. I come outside. I'm like, all right. I call my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm like, this week, I'm going to come home for dinner. She's like, you're going to help with dinner? I'm like, not really help. Um, more like observe dinner. She's like, do you want like a two-way mirror? I'm like, no. I said, just a legal pad and a little quiet would be okay. She's like, you can't get any stranger. I'm like, apparently I can't. So I come home and I watch my kids. It's an amazing experience. Anyone who has an experience, young kids eating dinner, it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever seen. It's like they're killing each other. And then like something weird happens when mom screams, dinner time. Like there's like this sort of like this like, you know, okay, we have a common enemy right now. Like I almost want to like call out, like watch out to my wife as these little kids are coming in and they walk into the room and she Order, they, they turn, I feel like I'm, I'm on the stock exchange. Like, as she comes in, she's like, okay, they're like, no, we, we, and the goal of the kids, by the way, is to get you to say that something is dinner and it's the least healthiest thing possible. They go right in, can we have ice cream? Ice cream has milk in it. She's like, no ice cream. Apple juice, I'm like, no, apple juice, waffles, pancakes. And she's like, no, 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 chicken, chicken, chicken. And she turns it like a, like a, she's like a commodity trade. She's like, two chicken, two, two chicken. And they're like, four, 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 four. She's like, hey, three, hey, three, three, like, three, 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 three. And they finally agree, three chickens, a little bit of broccoli. And some, and some mashed potatoes. And I am sweating in the other room. I'm like, I gotta take my wife to work with me. And she goes in and they have dinner. I'm like, I don't know. It's God. It's, they're like, my wife is God. Like, What's going on over here? I go the next day. I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. Third day, I'm like, I don't see God anywhere. I call her. I'm like, Rabbi, I'm watching what happens. I got to tell you, I really appreciate what goes on in my house now, my wife, but I don't see God anywhere near my dining room. So he says the following to me. He said, when your kids are eating dinner, what are they thinking about? I'm like, are they thinking about breakfast the next morning? Are they saying, wait, the market's not so great? Is daddy really pulling his weight? I don't know. Let's order five pieces of chicken. We'll hide two. And this way we'll have enough in case daddy comes home and gets blown out. Now, you know what they're thinking about? Dinner. Dinner. You know why? Because there's a woman there who's been given to her, given to them. And she, they know in their core, that woman says it's okay, they eat it. And that woman says that, that there's dinner tonight, they know there'll be breakfast tomorrow morning. So you know where they spend all their time and focus on? Dinner. You know what happens when you have dinner? Sometimes you eat things you don't like. Guess what you feel? You get what you get and you don't get upset. And then you get dessert. You know how kids eat dessert? 10% in the mouth, 90% in the neighborhood. Everywhere. Because they enjoy. Because you know where they are? Here. Want to live with God? 
got to plan, got to strategize. I'm all into that. I teach entrepreneurship in school. But you know where most of our life is? Here. You know where we live? There and there. What's going to be, 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 my God, my God, did I get an email? 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 I got to check my email. You know what's going to be? What's going to be? Is it going to work out? Is it going to work? Is it going to get on time? Is it going to get on time? I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. Can you believe what she said? I can't believe, I can't believe. I just can't believe. We're holding on to like eighth grade things. You ever have like you play this scenario in your head that happened to you 10 years ago, but this time in your brain you come in and deliver the knockout punch as if that's ever going to happen again? And you can't, we most of us live with, I can't believe what's going to be, or I can't believe it happened, or what's going to be, I can't believe it happened. And most of us never experience the quiet of breakfast and yesterday's lunch so that we can sit and dinner. We don't even taste food anymore. We just eat to the next and eat till we get full. You ever stay in a conversation and your eyes don't wander? You ever, do you ever have a party with somebody and you're talking to them and their eyes are off like as if like the 30 seconds of your time is up and now I need to see if there's anything else interesting in the room because whatever's going on in your life can't be interesting because I've already spent 30 seconds on you. I'm done. My ADD is already kicked in and I'm out. And then we wonder why someone says, how come you didn't notice that I was upset? And you go, what do you mean? I said, good morning to you. And you look at them going, are you crazy? You're related to me. I say good morning and you don't know that something's wrong with me? You, you, are you really? You, you don't know when I say good morning in that voice that something's wrong? We don't know. We can't read people. Because I've got to be here to read people. And I've got to be here a lot. You know what this requires? Strength. Gavura. Isaac lived with strength. He stayed in his tent all day. He put his head down on a well and dug one well his whole life that produced more water than any other thing that he did. He turned to his dad and said, tighter, 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 tighter. I got nowhere else to go but here. These two traits serve as the basis of our lives. Jacob actually is the synthesis of these three traits, which is another story. These are the two traits the ability to know when I go all in on what I believe in. And the ability to know that the things that I go all in on are right in front of me right now. I am missing most of my life. Not because I, I, it's not there, it's because I haven't ever seen it. I am waiting for Superman to sweep out of the, out of the clouds and show me my right in front of me in the most minuscule, small little thing is all the meaning that I even want. But I have yet to look past one layer of surface of the subject that I'm studying or the person that I'm married to or the conference that I'm in or the food that I'm eating or all the things that I'm doing right now. I am so busy going like this all day that everything sort of feels and tastes the same and it's coming at me. And if I don't get, you, ever, you know the number one place that people use their smartphone is? The bathroom. We can't go to the bathroom anymore without being stimulated. It is every second, if I am not constantly being stimulated every single second with something new, 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 I'm going out of my mind. Which means that I'm sitting on a couch with my loved one. I don't even know what's going on inside that head. Which means that I'm experiencing a conference. I'm already thinking of all this stuff. Do I really suck the material out and meet with the people and talk to the rabbis? Do I get every bit of every bit of life. Have I, when I go to bed at night, have I sucked the juice out of my day? And it doesn't mean not use common knowledge. It doesn't mean not plan for the future. It doesn't mean not direct your life. There's plenty of time for that. But for the majority of my life, if I'm able to stay here, and the here that I'm in, I'm able to be able to walk through a fire for it, then everything in my life has meaning. And then I am better 
every day, which means I have more responsibilities. I train entrepreneurs a lot. I'm in venture capital. I tell you, one of the biggest problems I have with young people, they're wonderful. Young people are the future of our, and they are amazing. But one thing that I get when I have the younger employees or entrepreneurs coming through my, my zones, they do one thing right, they go, I'm ready for the corner office. I said, wow, you did one thing right, and they're ready to take everyone else's job? They're like, how am I going to grow my career? I said, be great at what you do. You know what's going to happen next? I'm going to give you more stuff to do. You know what's going to happen next? You're going to have more stuff to do. You know what happens after that? You have more stuff to do. You know what happens after that? You have more stuff to do. You know what happens after that? You have another title. Because if everything you touch turns to gold, guess who wants to be around you? Everybody. Here. Today is going to be the best day ever. Today. And if we're able, every one of us, to take these, just these two traits that's inside us and ensure that they have full expression. I go to bed at night. Every day I get 10% more. If I'm 5% at my these traits, tonight I'm going to be 15. And give both of these traits of strength of now, of pushing past that initial amount and of sacrifice, of chesed, of asking myself, did I go all in? Can I push past that comfort zone? Is there another inch that I can push past? If we do this for everything in our lives, what happens is we find mission in everything. And that's why we're here. We're here to elevate everything. That's the beauty of spirituality, is that everything has inherent purpose. There aren't like five things that are purposeful and everything else is like, well, hopefully you'll get up here. Every speck of dust in this world has inherent purpose. And it's waiting for us to elevate it, to give it to it. Thank you very much.